Thanks for tuning in to Movie Geeks United, everybody. Great pleasure to have you all on board for another exciting week. Uh, Jerry is taken off for a couple of weeks, and in his place, uh, Adam Long, our good buddy and frequent contributor, <laughs> has agreed to sit in. Hey, Adam. Hey, Adam. Uh, hello, hello. We've got a lot to get to tonight because it's been a kind of an eventful few, a couple of weeks. Uh, between can and some movie casting news, and not to mention the movies that we might have seen in the interim. Uh, but first, we're going to play an interview, and for that, I turn to you, Dino. What do we got tonight? Well, tonight uh, we have uh, the director of a, a new documentary. It's uh, it's in production right now. Uh, his name is Kevin Doherty, and the documentary that he's working on is called. Vermeer of the Borscht Belt, and is about the cartoonist uh, and artist Drew Friedman, uh, whom I'm friends with on Facebook and uh, can easily be found there. But uh, he uh, is uh, one of the great cartoonists uh, and artists of uh, the 20th and 21st century. Uh, Drew Friedman has has contributed to every major humor magazine out there uh, from Mad Magazine for the last 20 years to Raw and Weirdo and, uh, uh, you know, of course doing, uh, you know, work for uh, for covers for magazines like Entertainment Weekly and Time and, uh, and even work for the New York Times and so forth. Uh, his... Uh, his work uh, really influenced me in terms of opening me up to a certain kind of movie. Um, more specifically, uh, Drew Friedman really introduced me to the work of Ed Wood uh, through his 80s comics that dealt with uh, the lives of some of Ed Wood's superstars, such as Bella Lugosi and Tor Johnson, who became... Uh, frequent figures in his comics. Um, but uh, I really love the uh, world of comics, and uh, particularly underground comics like Drew Friedman specializes in. And so when I heard that there was a documentary afoot about his uh, work and about his uh, unique sort of obsessions, shall we say, I was very interested, so I contacted the director of the, the film, uh, who is our guest tonight. Uh, Kevin Doherty is uh, is a relative newcomer to movies, but he's been friends with Drew for the past two decades, and so Drew has given him uh, the okay to do a documentary, and he's on the last stages of it, so he's looking for some Kickstarter funds to uh, to complete the project, uh, which has interviews in the can from people like Gilbert Gottfried and uh, and uh, uh, Mark Marin and all sorts of uh, interesting uh, guests. So uh, so I reached out to Kevin and uh, he granted me a little twenty minute interview. And uh, I hope that you enjoy it.
Kevin, can you tell me um, how you got to know Drew? Um, yeah, Dave, thanks for having me on. Um, it's, I've known Drew for probably over 20 years. I was working on um, sort of an interactive kids' video game at a company in New York, and they asked me, uh, they didn't like my artwork, so they said, who, you know, here's some money, go find art, an artist. And I said, uh, do you care who I get? And they said, we don't care who you get. So I said, well, I love Drew Freeman. I said, this is like a kid's game. They're not going to want Drew Freeman, but they're not going to know who he is. They're not the other people in the room. So Drew was reluctant at first. I said, Drew, I've been a fan of yours for a million years. And, you know, we just took it from there. We've been friends ever since. And, um, like I said, I was a fan long before I worked with Drew. And he, it turns out when I moved to Pennsylvania, he lives about uh, 20 minutes away from me. So we, you know, have lunch every once in a while. And uh, I go to his house and tour the museum in his basement. It's just an amazing collection he has there. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, I bet that's a real thrill to take, take yeah, a look at his he is collection. Quite a collection. Oh, boy. Um, does he collect films and stuff as well? No, he doesn't Does collect he actual films. He's more like a memorabilia guy, but he's specifically focused on one of his main points of interest, which is 20th century um, American Jewish comedians. So he's, right. he's dubbed it the, muse, the, the Museum. But I've watched his collection over the years sort of evolve into the typical kind of 60s monster kid movie fan and Aurora models. Until now, it's just all Jews all the time. It's like... <laughs> artifacts and just chassis and weird ephemera from the Borstadt, literally the hotels up there and um, awards that were given to like Henny Youngman and Jack Benny. And he's just got an amazing collection. And one of the biggest things he has, the most impressive thing he has, and this is highlighted in uh, Vermeer and Borstadt is through some convoluted means he owns the archive of Lou Jacoby, the personal effects of actor Lou Jacoby. He was in uh, Anne Frank. He was in um, a million movies. Sure. Uh, Everything you always want to know about sex. Yes, yes. I'm sure he's never lived that down. Um, That's a great, (laughs) great Lou Jacoby piece. Um, So Drew has a closet full of about eight file boxes with every photo that Lou Jacoby ever owned. It's amazing. And if you look wow. on YouTube, we have a YouTube channel. There's a, there's a, there's a uh, look behind the scenes on our YouTube channel. Um, I think it's called Premier of the Borscht Belt. You can find it on YouTube. It's easy. Where we go behind the scenes of Drew, and we go through the Lou Jacoby collection. And it's really impressive. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, so, uh, the, I... I know that, uh, boy, I mean, I, I know from doing documentaries in the past, just myself, that uh, you could just get overloaded with uh, with uh, yes. interview material and so forth. Uh, is, is it hard to, I mean, the, the number of people that you could interview co- in connection with uh, Drew Friedman could be endless. And uh, uh, so is it, is, it, uh, is it a challenge shaping this documentary? Um, yeah, it's almost like we have too much stuff. You know, we still have yeah. more stuff to go. We're still raising money. But, you know, um, I think the first thing we did, it was almost a year ago today, we interviewed Drew's dad, Bruce J. Friedman, who's a writer, a great writer. He's one of the, um, just one of the great writers of the 60s. Who, they coined the phrase dark humor to describe Bruce J.'s work. He had a couple novels, um, 
did another called Stern. He wrote a play called Steam Bath, which was uh, broadcast on PBS in the early 70s, late 60s, which was one of the first times they showed nudity on public television. And uh, most people my age have very fond memories of Valerie Perrine, Topless and Steam Bath. But he's also a great writer besides that fallacious moment. But, um, oh, man, the people we had, Mike Judge, Beavis and Butthead, he was one of the first people we interviewed. He was fantastic. Never met Drew. He's just a huge fan of his work. Um, and I, I heard him mention Drew and somewhere, and I said, well, I'll try him. Let's see. And he agreed so fast your head would spin. Uh, we talked to Mark Marin, the podcaster. Mark was great. He's a big fan of Drew's. He's had Drew on the, on the podcast. Um, Mel, Mel Marco, who was an early um, writer on uh, David, David Letterman's uh, Late Show. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, she was fantastic. She invited us to her house. Um, in Malibu, um, we had Eddie Gordetsky. Eddie's um, a writer who's been, who's probably has a wall full of uh, Emmy awards. He currently, I think he works for the Big Bang Theory, but he's worked for Letterman, for SNL, for SCTV. He wrote all the early Penn and Teller stuff. He's uh, just a curmudgeon. He's hilarious. <laughs> he's one of the, one of the funniest, funniest people alive. And he was reluctant to get. He he's an old friend of Drew's. He was. Um, he kept telling me, "I don't want to do interviews. I don't do interviews, but I'll do anything for Drew." So this may be the only interview I've ever seen of Eddie Gordetsky, and Eddie was. Uh, it was just hilarious, and he provided oh, wow. a lot of the. Uh, he was really really funny, and he 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 kind of gave me the thesis for the film when he said, uh, "We're talking about Ed Wood and that kind of." campy, whatever you want to call it, films, and uh, he said, anybody that says it's so good, it's bad, fuck those people. That was his, because he has a genuine appreciation. I agree. Yeah, exactly. It's not, he he has a statement in the film, I can't paraphrase it without diluting it, but about that he, if you watch Ed Glenn and Glenda, you will never see a more powerful personal statement by a director, a more idiosyncratic, personal, pointed statement than something like Glenda. Glenda. Forget about what wins the Oscar this year. It, and, you know, you can laugh at Glenda Glenda. You can laugh at Glenda Glenda. It's got shoddy production values, and it's got some goofy acting. But, boy, that guy was determined to make a movie. And he really was. <laughs> And I feel that way about uh, I think uh, you know Drew and his and and his fans you know really respond to uh, Plan Nine from Outer Space. It was really Drew Friedman back in the eighties that really so. introduced me to Plan Nine from Outer Space through his comics. And um, I think so. You know, maybe maybe a little bit of the Medved Brothers for uh, talking about it in their worst movie books, which I don't agree with. I don't think that. Plan no, Nine no is one does. of the worst it, movies ever made. I think, <laughs> I think um, those guys fuck those guys. I think everybody's kind of mad. Everybody acknowledges those guys, the Medvedes, uh, you know, reading about because there was nothing to read about Edward. There's a couple books that came out soon after that, but uh, I don't think it's one of the worst movies. No, and I don't think uh, no. the screenwriter Scott Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who wrote uh, Edward, the Tim Burton film, have been. Uh, really supportive and helpful and we'll probably go to interview those guys and they're great guys and um they just have a an armload of great films under the belt so they know biography so they were the first people i asked what would you like to see in a movie about drew freeman you know 
and yeah. they gave me a lot of advice. They're interesting fellas. Yeah, no, I, you know, I completely, uh, I completely concur with, you know, the assessment of Ed Wood as being a, a great director uh, unto himself. Uh, yes, uh, perhaps flawed, uh, but uh, but he had a he had a real uh, vision for things, and uh, and I think he kind of stuck to it. <laughs> he he just did. Uh, yes, I, you know, I know, I know. He was sidetracked later on with you know financial difficulties and alcoholism and so forth. But uh, you know, he got a few a few really good ones out that people still talk about and. Uh, so there's there's just no denying it, and uh, and why don't you your flaws? Go watch the Justice League. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, some of it strains credibility, and you look at those films, and you think they had a thousand people on the payroll, and they made this incredibly hard to follow. Um, incredibly distracting thing, and Ed Wood has four people, and you know what he's going for. At least I think he delivers what he intended to do more so than you know Zack Snyder does in some superhero movie. It's a personal vision, like I said. Exactly, and I mean you know the the <laughs> as the listeners of the, our show know, I, I've. You know, I've kind of sworn off on uh, a lot of superhero movies of the of the present day because I'm just like, well, look, I'm giving up. You know, unless I unless I, I hear tried. something I you tried. know overwhelming about one, I'm just not going to waste my time. I hear overwhelming things, and I'm like, I go to see the film, and I'm like, this is not what people are selling it to be. People are just falling under the spell of this hype because I'm not even going to mention the movies I've heard raves about it. I'm talking about commercial superhero movies, and, uh, and I'm a superhero old-school comic book fan, and I just, I don't get it. I don't get, they've, they've come, they've become so far away from the source material that it just doesn't work. I don't want to see Spider-Man in outer space. I want to see Spider-Man fighting a guy with a raccoon mask running down the street with his bag with a big dollar sign on the side. I don't want to see cosmic Spider-Man, you know. I agree. So, with the with the uh, Drew Friedman documentary, which is of course called, uh, did did Drew or did you come up with the title, uh, uh, Ramirez? I believe uh, it Bell? was. No, I believe it was um, is it Stephen Heller from the New York Times. I think that was his description of Drew, um, and I love the title. I'm just afraid. Uh, People can't spell Vermeer or Borscht because I know I, <laughs> I, which is a legitimate fear, you know. <laughs> well, Borscht, Borscht apparently has various spellings, and uh, one of the first things we did was I put out some postcards that I paid a lot of money for, and I got them back, and I realized I spelled Borscht wrong. So if you have any of those postcards, they're a collector's item, and I'm very embarrassed by it. <laughs> How do you spell Borscht? Well, we B O R S C H. Yes, that's what we're going by. Yes. Okay. okay. All right. We, we, we also have uh, ChicoNeededTheMoney.com. That's one of our websites. That's a little bit easier to remember <laughs> because that's an old joke between Drew and uh, Gilbert Gottfried when they talk about why did uh, why did they do this movie or that movie? Why did they do Love Happy? And Groucho always says because Chico needed the money. And uh, very, uh, a very good Groucho imitation, as does Gilbert Godfrey. He, 
he does. Uh, Drew does pretty good imitations of a lot of people, right? He does a passable Larry. Um, he does, yeah. He does. Uh, he he does a very funny uh, imitation of Gilbert Gottfried making fun of him, calling him Judas. Um, <laughs> because in the old days, Drew Freeman used to draw in a simple style, and it was like consisted of mainly little tiny dots. And every time Gilbert Gottfried saw him, Gilbert would yell, "Judas, Judas!" <laughs> Excuse me. The uh the the that style by the way was unforgettable. Of course he's kind of uh he's he's kind of moved over to paintings more than uh more than uh you know the the pointillism uh but uh uh you know those those eighties uh drawings uh, are incredible. Uh you know of course all of I think they were also very labor intensive. They were yes. very labor intensive and um you know, Drew started Drew started in basically on the tail end of underground comics using in things like raw, nationally prudent heavy metal. But uh he you know, he transitioned pretty well and pretty fast into giving a lot of mainstream work at this sort of the last heyday of magazine illustrations like uh you know, Entertainment Weekly and he had a, he has a whole bunch of covers that you can see in uh I think it's too soon is the name of the book he put out. It's most of these commercial work. Uh, but for somebody who was drawing such weird, strange worlds, to suddenly be asked to draw friends was an interesting transition. And he had to speed up the process. You know, Entertainment Weekly is not going to wait for you to draw 10,000 dots when they yeah. need the picture tomorrow. So I think his more painterly approach, but I like all of this stuff, you know, the new stuff, the old stuff, you know. It's, yeah, it's me very too. Me too. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I feel the exact same way. And I just I, I like his uh, subject matter just in general, you know. Whatever he decides to attack, whether I feel like it's really, really Drew Friedman esque or not, he he makes it his own, and uh, that's that's what I really appreciate it about it. So, uh, so if if a if a listener to uh, Movie Geeks United wants to contribute to uh, the making of uh, Vermeer of the Borscht Belt. Uh, what what do they need to do? They should go to our website, VermeerTheVoiceFelt.com or ChicoNewsTheMoney.com. Both will take you to the same place. And there's a button to contribute via PayPal. Uh, we've done a Kickstarter. I don't think we're going to do another Kickstarter, but we're still looking for some money to finish. Um, how much money remains to be seen? Uh, but uh, we're, we're, we're going to go back to California. We have a whole bunch of interviews lined up, and we need – your support. I feel like Jerry Lewis on the end of a telethon. I should have a big tote board. I should be bringing out the child in the wheelchair now and saying, send me your money. Um, I guess I'm, I'm more, more like Joey cash. Bishop. You're Joey Bishop. You're Ed McMahon at the remote. Or, yes. uh, I can't remember yes. who did it in New York. Tony Orlando was the guy in New York. I don't yes. know who grew up, but Tony Orlando was always the New York guy. Oh yeah, I remember so, seeing him. Uh, yeah, oh absolutely. Um, yeah, I was a big, uh, I was a big watcher of those when I was a kid. Uh, uh, okay, well that uh, that sounds good. What what do you think? Uh, what do you think is the projected arrival for the for the documentary? I'm gonna have something um, this summer. It looks like August. We'll have. Uh, I, I, it's not going to be released in August, but we'll start talking to film festivals. We had a lot of early interest before I even shot a frame of film. 
People were very interested, uh, film festivals and the like. So, um, who knows? It's going to be, it'll be out there. I think uh, you'll know better by the end of the summer, but you'll start hearing more about it, hopefully. And there will be opportunities to see it before the end of the year. And hopefully it'll end up on, you know, Netzon or Amaflix or one of these places where you can see it. <laughs> and, you know, I want to I, uh, I, I want something I can hold. Yes, of course. And uh, I, I, I encourage you to submit it to the Atlanta Film Festival as well. Cause oh, I, yes, I think yes, I will. I, I think they would dig it. Um, but uh, we are doing a, I, I should mention we're doing a VHS, a VHS clamshell release at one point. So you'll be able to great. buy it on a VHS tape. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Do you still have a VHS player? I don't, but uh, I thought this was a great idea when I pitched it to people and I gave it away as a Kickstarter promo, and now I'm finding out it's not that easy to get 100 VHSs made of any good quality, you know. So it's uh, it's not quite at the level of the vinyl revival, but VHS, believe it or not, people are interested in VHS. I am too. I, I have I have my VHS player right back behind me, and I've got about uh, 400 VHS tapes in the house. Uh, and, VHS uh, has been a nightmare. It was always a nightmare to me. I always hated the format. I've always worked in video. I always said I can't wait till I don't have to look at another VHS tape again. But we're you know we're diving head first. We're giving the people what they want. They want VHS. They can have it. Yay! Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm pro VHS. Okay, well that was Kevin Doherty, and uh, his uh, film is called Vermeer of the Borscht Belt. It's about Drew Friedman. A famous artist and uh, cartoonist. I love him. He's so funny. He's on those Gilbert podcasts. He's done several appearances there. He's so so great. Yeah, he is. He is. He's a he's a he's a fond of knowledge, and you know, he's very uh, you know he's he's uh, you know just a a really great artist and and extremely funny. I mean, he's written for heavy metal and and mm-hmm. uh National Lampoon, uh, that's where I first mm-hmm. came in contact with him, but uh his books uh that he did with his brother, uh of course he's the son of Bruce J. Friedman, the uh Yeah, I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, the uh, uh who wrote uh, the book that uh Heartbreak Kid is based on and also yeah, did the, the lonely, lonely guy, guy. Yeah. <laughs> which I watched yeah. the other night, which was fun, and uh, uh, yeah, so he's uh, you know he's, he's got a whole uh, history uh, that's intertwined with the movies, and uh, mm-hmm. not just comics, but movies as well. So hopefully, when we have him on the show, we can have a good, healthy mm-hmm. movie conversation with him. He does the illustrations. As as healthy. I want it, I want it to be a healthy conversation. <laughs> it'll probably, it'll healthy, probably be a little sick. <laughs> uh, well, he did the illustrations for the Howard Stern's autobiography, uh, private parts. You know, there's yes. a lot of his art in there too. That's great. Yeah. So I've never seen a bad uh, Drew Friedman yeah. comic. So I mean, uh, any yeah, of the any of the collections that you can get, any uh, which uh, the two that I know of are. 
warts and all, and any any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Yeah, um, great. Both both of those are fantastic, and if you've never if you've never read any of his stuff, or if you've seen it, seen his work a little bit, uh, you know it's pretty unforgettable once you see it because he he's a paint he he works in paint now, but uh, uh, he started off doing this very distinctive sort of pointillism kind of style with his uh, with his pen and ink work, and uh, it's uh, it's unforgettable once you see it. So he's mm. really great. Okay, Wait. so the Cannes Film Festival happened. And yes. uh, finally, uh, Spike Lee went home with something. Yes. Uh, his his movie Black Klansman got good notices there. They say it's, you know, a lot of people say it's the best movie he's made in, in quite some time. I remember they said the same thing about another one of his movies, the Ch- Chirac. Uh, yeah. So he keeps Which making I the love. best movie he's made in quite some time. <laughs> um, see, how, see how long he could keep making those. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. But uh, it won the Grand Prix, which is the kind of the runner-up at Cannes. the actual, uh, and he seemed very pleased about that, the actual Palme d'Or, the top prize, went to a Japanese movie called Shoplifters. It's about a uh, family living in poverty who kind of resorts to crime to support their family. That's uh, by uh, uh, Hirokazu uh, Koreeda, who, who does uh, yeah. great, great films. One of the great yeah. filmmakers. Yeah, it's, he, he's the one that makes kind of fables, doesn't he? He does uh well I guess his you know my favorite of his movies was a movie called Nobody Knows which is uh which is about a uh a sort of a, a Japanese uh, mother and her family that she uh keeps on the streets and uh and uh who are dealing with her uh sort of mental illness and uh it's a it's a fantastic movie but I mean he just does he does great movie after great movie um He's he's one of the best, so uh, so it doesn't surprise me that uh, that he would uh, come out on top on this one. But uh, they also gave for- a they also gave a special award. This happens from time to time, where the jury wants to doesn't want to prize them one of the established categories, but they they feel like somebody needs a singling out. They gave a special award to uh, Godard. Uh, for continuing to push the envelope of film narrative uh, in connection to his movie The Image Book, which premiered there. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, actually, it's the first time they've given a special, this this award is called the, a special Palme d'Or, uh, which uh, is a award designation they've never given before, but... Uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, a few years ago, didn't they give it... Uh, Give uh, the award to uh, uh, to him for uh, that 3D movie that he did. Goodbye to language, I think. Yeah. So did they did, uh, didn't they make a special exception for uh, Blue is the Warmest Color actresses as well? Yes, they did. Yeah. Okay. They they put them in with with the uh, with the director. Yes. Uh, okay, and but the you know the big. 
talking points were the most uh, from the Cannes Film Festival were the most controversial films. I love I love the Cannes Film Festival. The con- I keep saying Cannes, con con because uh, it's the one place that reminds you that people can still be scandalized by movies. Like it happens every, almost every year, where this whether it's just outwardly bad or offensive, but people just behave like this absolutely scandalized and this year it was you know the usual suspects Gaspar Noe and um, Lars von Trier who are big fans of one another it seems (laughs) 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 Uh, but the Lars von Trier movie is the house that Jack built that will come out soon with Matt Dillon and Uma Thurman where Matt Dillon plays a serial killer your house is a fine little house Jack most people uh didn't like it just because there was no emotional center nothing to draw them in and so when they're seeing acts of extreme brutality uh, it's just kind of a blank experience Um, but some liked it Uh, some read more into it and the the Gaspar uh, no is it no is it just no is that how you pronounce the last name his new film is called Climax and uh, people are a little more warm on that movie, I've found, through reading reviews. But not by much. But, but they, they say particularly the first half is just so beautifully choreographed and, and it's just an exercise in energy and movement about this dance troupe. They have this big party, and the first 45 minutes is uh, the, this very uh, energetic choreography that's happening as they're dancing, but their punch is spiked with LSD, and so everything turns bad. (laughs) Pregnant women get kicked in the stomach and all this kind of stuff. You know, he goes to terrible places as usual. But, you know, if you're into that, uh, uh, what's it called, masochistic uh, cinema, uh, you you got two (laughs) movies to look forward to. (laughs) He's a specialist. <laughs> yeah, for me, something like a Kevin James movie is masochistic, but for others, it's, uh, stuff like that. So, I feel like Enter the Void a lot. Uh, I think that's my favorite of his movies. Uh, that is a very, very visually dazzling movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not a not a huge fan of uh, uh, of his work. Usually, <laughs> it's a little too much for me. Yeah, but Von Trier, Von Trier, look, I know there's a part of you, Dean, that has a soft spot for Von Trier because of mm-hmm. breaking the waves. And is, has, has he evolved from more of a humanist filmmaker to someone who, who's only out to kind of provoke and shock? Is that, do you see that as, as a dissension? I think that's just always been a part of his makeup in general. Uh, mm-hmm. From from the from the very beginning, so uh, so some movies are gentler than others, uh, but um, but they all have a they all have a little tipping point to them that just uh, yeah. Well, if you <laughs> you're not going to like this movie if you can't make it past this point, you know, and uh, you know. So I'm I'm used to being sort of scandalized by him. There, there's been very few of his movies that. Haven't on some level uh, 
uh, stunned me and uh, and uh, and everybody else who saw them. So uh, so yeah. any of his movies is is worth checking out, but you have to know going in. It's like oh, this you're taking a risk, <laughs> but I like that about him. Yeah. yeah, and he understands Hitler, which I think is important. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, uh, maybe there's a Hitler movie in it one of these days. Yeah. No, I was just going to say there's always a level of seething anti-Americanism that seems to run through his most recent crop of films. To me, it's just that there's a it just seems to really hate Americans, <laughs> or it, it comes across that way to me anyway. I yeah. Well, certainly, you know, in uh, something like Dancer in the Dark, or uh, yes, especially, you know, that's and Dogville, that's and Dogville, yes, of course, uh, yeah, he he definitely has that has that in him for sure. There's another piece of movie news. Uh, there's a piece of movie news that uh, is of particular interest to us. Yes. on the show. I know what you're going to talk we're about. Talking about <laughs> we're talking about Tarantino. I have, I have definite thoughts about this. So I'll give you guys his thoughts first, and then I'll expand upon why I think this casting is perfect. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Tarantino's latest film, they announced new casting details. They, they've cast uh, regulars, Kurt Russell, Michael Madsen, Tim Roth. Uh, I don't know if all three are playing roles like this, but Michael Madsen says the role he's playing is an actor in the movie within the movie. They're shooting a Western TV show or Western movie in the movie, and he plays an actor in that movie. Uh, <clears throat> but the big casting news in regards to that movie is they just cast Burt Reynolds as George Spawn, the owner of the Spawn Ranch, which is where the Manson family resided between Spawn Ranch and Barker Ranch during the time of the murders. So Dean... Obviously, Bert is near and dear to your heart. You must have leapt out of your seat when you read this news. Uh, I was, I was so thrilled. You know, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I like to think that uh, I don't know, maybe something in this in the interview that we did, because I remember telling him uh, at one point. Uh, I don't know if it made it into the final thing, but I told him at one point. I, I said, uh, well, you should really reach out and and work with a lot of you know directors that you might be afraid to work with <laughs> i don't know you know, maybe too you might feel like they were uh too strong or something for you uh and uh i'm really happy about this tarantino news because uh, you know tarantino was named for burt reynolds character he was named for uh, uh the character quint in uh in uh, uh gunsmoke so I was always wondering when Quentin Tarantino and Burt Reynolds were going to work together, and uh, this seems like the perfect opportunity. So, uh, so it should be should be great. I don't know how big of a role it'll be. Uh, you know, I mean, George Spahn isn't really a big player in the whole uh, Manson family, I guess. Uh, you know, saga, but. Uh, but he's certainly an important part of it, and uh, and uh, it could be great. It could be really great to see Bird in a movie by Tarantino. Uh, so, you know, I'm excited about it. I mean, this 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 project just keeps getting more and more exciting as as the days go by, and uh, by the time it comes out, you know, people are going to be frothing at the mouth to see it. So, wouldn't you want to be out there and see uh, some of the recreations? 
of the, yeah. the time and the place. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be uh, awesome. Yeah, it would, it'll be it'll be really amazing, and you know it'll have great music in it, and uh, it you just uh, you just I just sense that everybody's going to be firing on all cylinders on this. So, uh, and as expected, Robert Robert Richardson is coming back for to DP it. Oh, um, great! As well, but uh, yeah, and Adam, you and I were talking about this earlier that the. Um, you can't recreate Cielo because that house is gone. So I'm yeah. uh, where where Tate and Polanski live. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, they do an accurate w- w- reproduction of that house because they're going to have to show it. I mean, the plot is that they're neighbors on that road. Oh yeah, Rio and Tate. Yeah, which that mm-hmm. so that's a particular point of interest for me as well because I have great. Uh, Nostalgia for a house I never saw in person, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it was a beautiful. It was a beautiful house before they broke it down and turned it into a McMansion that is owned yeah. by owned by the creator of Full House. Uh, of huh. All people. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's interesting. Wow, but here's here's my thoughts. Here's my thoughts on Burt Reynolds uh, and What's Fun Time in Hollywood. I have a feeling he probably has a great monologue in it. Uh, and I think I, when I read this news, I thought, well, so they, they really are delving more into the Manson L.A. than I thought by having George Spahn be included as a character because George Spahn is so uniquely suited to speak to the changing of the times as defined by the Manson murders. That's true. Um, because George Spahn ran this ranch. What was the ranch's... Uh, uh, reputation. It was where they shot a lot of old westerns. And this movie is about the passing of the old Hollywood to the new. Where DiCaprio, who stars in all these TV westerns and stuff, he feels like he's being thro- thrown aside for a new generation. And he's frustrated by that. It's about how Hollywood changed in that era. Um, and I think George Spahn is probably like the spine between those those two. I think he's going to use him in that way. Mm-hmm. I hope so. I hope it's not just a you know a five minute performance. I hope it's a uh, I hope it's a real substantial role. Yeah, me too. George Spahn was blind, and he was uh, he let them stay at the ranch, um, uh, and they you know they pampered him for that luxury, the girls and what have you. Um, <laughs> that probably doesn't rub at, Burt Reynolds the wrong way. Be fawned over by a bunch of young girls as part and of the And Burt Reynolds is perfect because like you said with Gunsmoke, he started at TV Westerns. He mm-hmm. has, And he has a history of being part of that classic old Hollywood that they're talking about in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think perfect. he'll be able to bring bring something very personal to it. Uh, so, you know, it's a golden opportunity for Burt. Yeah. And I, I, I was thinking, is this character that he first Pacino for uh, I don't know because he's always he, he's been talking like Pacino has a has a is he, his interest in Pacino for a role I don't I don't know yeah that's a that's yeah. an interesting question uh, well I hope, I hope Reynolds Pacino is, Reynolds is infinitely better if, yeah if, uh, Burt Reynolds is infinitely better for George Bond than Pacino would have been mm, mm. but uh, this makes a lot more sense with Reynolds yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, what's going on? What have we seen? What's going on? 
Well, let's see. Uh, I think the you know the best thing that I've seen recently. I watched uh, Film Worker, which is uh, the documentary about uh, our friend Leon Vitale, <laughs> who's been on the show. Uh, Kubrick's longtime assistant. There's a new documentary out uh, about his uh, life and work with Kubrick uh, over uh, 20 or 30 years that they worked together. He worked as as his assistant after uh, being in Barry Lyndon as uh, Lord Bullington, and uh, and, uh, he sort of gave up a lucrative career as as an actor. To become Kubrick's uh, assistant, and uh, the movie details uh, sort of his uh, what you what you would ag- imagine is a kind of a maddening schedule of uh, checking on film prints and and uh, uh, coaching actors, uh, including Danny Lloyd, uh, who played the young kid in in The Shining, and being Stanley's right hand man, and basically, uh, you know, having to endure. Uh, sometimes ill treatment at the hands of Kubrick, but also sometimes uh, sometimes generous treatment. And he he just uh, he talks about how uh, how privileged he he feel he felt you know being in that position and uh, how much he treasured it, uh, even though it was incredibly demanding and almost killed him. <laughs> I know the real Stanley Kubrick. It's just a great great movie. I mean, uh, after you after you get acclimated to sort of the dizzying schedule that uh Leon had to had to endure uh and was introduced to in in around 1976 or so uh I think The Shining was the first movie he worked on with uh, Kubrick as as assistant and his primary role there was to coach uh Danny Lloyd and uh take care of him uh over the uh, over the filming, the long filming of that movie, uh, but uh, it, it is uh, it is such a fascinating, fascinating movie. I mean, it is really it's really something to see. And uh, any Kubrick fans out there, uh, I know there are many. Uh, it's something you just can't miss. Uh, you just got to see it. So it it opens, I think, uh, um, sometime in uh, in the next month. And uh, I know it'll be playing in a lot of landmark cinemas. And I know there's there are also last, last week it last week it opened in New York, and this week it opened in L.A. And from now until September or something, it opens in the other parts of the country. Right. And their uh, uh, landmark is actually showing, um, uh, you know, across the country. They're showing both uh, Full Metal Jacket and uh, Eyes Wide Shut in uh uh in their theaters as uh, sort of a preparation for fans to come out and come and see film worker. Adam, have have you seen anything worth talking about? I you go to screenings <laughs> all the time. I've been to several, yeah. I I well, I could go back a couple of weeks, because uh, I don't think you guys talked about this one. Tully I saw. Um, mm-hmm. About two weeks ago, and I thought it was agreeable. I thought it was good. I I don't think it's quite as good as Young Adult, uh, but uh, I did like it, uh, and I thought that Charlize Theron's physical transformation was pretty amazing, actually, what she did, considering just last year she was in Atomic Blonde, and she was 
you know, in such Completely great shape yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she's gone from that to this convincingly. And uh, I think there's it's very insightful about parenthood, which, you know, I've kind of been through it myself, but not from the female perspective. But I, I know a little bit, I can relate to it a little bit, uh, what her character is dealing with. And I think it's certainly going to make people who aren't parents, if they see it, uh, think twice about becoming parents. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't it it doesn't look like it's making parenthood look very appealing. It looks, no. looks it makes it look very tiring. Are you okay? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's milk. I make milk. She's overwhelmed as a parent and expecting a third unexpected like surprise child and so her brother-in-law offers to pay for this nanny that there's this nanny service where the nanny comes in basically just you don't do anything the nanny does everything they come in uh, when it starts getting dark outside and they stay all night long and they leave in the morning and so Tully is the nanny and that's and she gets attached to Tully she doesn't want to do it at first she's against the idea and she's like, I don't need that, I don't need that. And then when Tully shows up one day, she becomes really enamored with her. And the movie has kind of a twist that I didn't see coming during the last 15 minutes. It's it's a little bit of a surprise. Um, huh. So, yeah, it, I don't think you'll see it coming. It, uh, it really took me, took caught me off guard, I have to admit. But I think Diablo Cody is getting better as a writer you know, I, I I was not a big fan of Juno. I'll have to admit, I just wasn't. I know I'm in the minority on that, but it just didn't. Not, I, I didn't, didn't, not here, you know. I'm, I'm, well, I, that's I couldn't remember I'm, if you guys liked it or not, but I just felt like there was it was unrealistic mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, and it just I don't know. I just had a lot of problems with it. But I felt like in the years since then, I love Young Adult. I'll be honest. I thought that was tremendous. She wrote and that as well, didn't she? She did. That's why, yeah, that's why I mentioned that because I, I thought Young Adult was a giant step forward mm-hmm. because she's getting she's. It seems like she's growing. She's able to write movies with more depth. I think as she's getting older, mm-hmm. and this is a this is a good example of that. And so I I do recommend Tully. I'll say it's not quite as good as Young Adult, but it's definitely good. And uh, like I said, the Charlize Theron. So does uh, so does Charlize Theron? Uh, does she turn out to be like Kaiser Soze or something? <laughs> is that a surprise? <laughs> I don't want to say, but it it is it is a surprise. It really for me anyway. You guys might see it coming, but. I, I when it got there, I was like, "Whoa, okay." I didn't quite. Did you see? That. Um, did you see uh, Deadpool two yet, Adam? I did. Yes, I saw. Deadpool <laughs> 2. <laughs> well, Uh-oh. I'll say this: I I liked it a lot better than Avengers: Infinity Wars and Black Panther. So I'll go that far wow. to say that I would prefer it to either one of those because. Uh, it thumbs its nose at Marvel like the other one did, you know, and nah, that gimmick gets a little old, I'll have to admit, before it's over with. It kind of wears out its welcome with all that stuff. But, uh, you know, it's just so anti... It is a Marvel, you know, technically a Marvel movie, I guess, but, but not within the you know, Marvel universe, but it's not the, not the Disney Marvel universe, but I like the fact that it uh, you know, that it's just so irreverent and makes all these Know, these, and and the pop music, the the needle drops, so to speak, are always inventive. I mean, the opening credits are 
they're using air supply over the opening credits, which I just, you know, stuff like that, just, you know. I know 95% of their audiences, I mean, there's a, 95% of their audience isn't going to get this stuff. There's even a reference where they actually recreate a scene from Say Anything with the boombox scene. <laughs> yeah. And they recreate that, and nobody was laughing because nobody got it. You know, I was sitting there, and I thought, these people, they just they don't get this at all. They don't Wow. It's not amazing. Yeah. So it's – I, I yeah, like they have it. Dolly, I like Part, said, Dolly Parton's 9 to 5 is playing. The there writer. you go, yeah. That's another yeah. one I was going to – and he actually says on screen, hit it, Dolly. Which is <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you know, it's yeah. – It got uh, – for me, it got really tiring. It did. But, um, I agree. I agree. And I, I'm not, I'm not uh, inflamed by uh, Ryan Reynolds. Inflamed meaning I'm not uh, <laughs> opposed to him. <laughs> inflamed. I don't get hemorrhoids over Ryan Reynolds, but uh, yeah. So he doesn't necessarily bother me or grate me. Uh, like I know that he tends to do with you sometimes, Dean. But uh, yeah, it's that the the movie is just a hundred percent attitude, and I just got bored with it. I mean, I walked out of the first Deadpool because I was like, okay, this is not made for me. This is not for me. I'm walking out. Bong. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Enjoy it. I hope everybody loves it and everything. I'm sure they do, but uh, it's not for me. So I won't be checking it out. <laughs> I had a good time with the first one. I mean, when they name-dropped Ronnie Millsap, I, that was at the point I said, okay, any movie like this that has the temerity to name-drop Ronnie Millsap, okay, I'm, I'm there. I'm on board. I'm sorry. I, I, I am. Because they don't See, care. It, it, it's got, like, it, it, got to the point, it got to the point where even references like that I didn't respond to. Like I respond more to the reference when you tell me what the reference is that I did when it was in the movie because I was just tired of the movie at a certain point. <laughs> oh, yeah, the movie just you – know? the, 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 the first Deadpool just knocks you out with, with all of its, yeah. you know, ephemera and uh, just uh, – uh, and, and doesn't knock you out in a good way. It knocks you out and sort of like it, it anesthetizes you, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. I just, I was like, oh my god, I got to get out of here. I could feel the walls closing in on me for some reason. I was just uh, then. I actually, I actually stood on a stage when I was a kid because I used to, I used to have a regular gig as like a ten to twelve year old singing country music at this local place every weekend. And one of the things we did was we would go to festivals and stuff, uh, which there were a lot of music festivals of art at the time. <clears throat> and I went to <clears throat> something called the Orange Blossom Jamboree. There was a big field, and there were thousands thousands of people there. And I stood on the stage, and I sang my, my set as a little kid. And then I walked off. I was done. And then Ronnie Millsap came on. <laughs> so oh, I, always, wow. I always say, I always say I opened for Roddy Bilta. He never saw me. <laughs> I love Roddy Bilta. I think it's great. I think I think he's the country music Barry Manilow. I think that's what Roddy Bilta is. I think Bilsap so too. Is. Huh? He's great. He had forty number one country records. I think so. He's huge. So it's. Yeah. I mean, he's a big deal. But I, you know, I took a. There was a girl who went with me to the first screening. She was like twenty three years old. And all these references are just going way over her head, and she was just blankly staring. At the, and, of course, all of my colleagues are about my age, so we're all just laughing, uh, you know, because we're, we're, it's, it's hitting us in the right places. But she, just, she didn't know what we were laughing at. She was a co-worker, 
and she was dying to see Deadpool. And I said, well, come on, I got a spot if you want to show up and come with me. And she did. And she, I, I, like I said, she got the, uh, you know, the, the 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 story part of it, but the references were just totally lost. And I thought, boy, there is a big disconnect here. So. <laughs> I wonder if a lot of I wonder if a lot of viewers uh, really uh, respond to it uh, in that way, like uh, if a lot of the jokes are are lost on them. I think so. Right. I think so. I really do. But that's the, that's the reason why I can't hate those movies. I'm not going to say they're the greatest things ever made, but but they they just don't they seem to not give a shit whether people get the references or not it's like we're going to throw this right. in here and because we think it's funny and if you don't think it's funny then we don't care whatever <laughs> like sticks it. sticks they're just throwing it at the wall yeah and marvel would never do that not a, a marvel a disney marvel would never do anything like that because they're so calculated mm-hmm. and they they they're just so afraid of offending the 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 smallest percentage of the people who come to see the the Disney Marvel movies, and I don't know. There's something about that because yeah. I'm a nonconformist, and it just grates on my last nerve. So I think that's the thing. The, the rebel in me responds to these things, but like I said, I'll never yeah. say they're they're great, but they I, I do appeal to a certain part. No, of I understand. Them. I understand. I think people yeah. that like Deadpool will love the movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I saw the Rider. I saw that, which is getting a lot of accolades. Um, and, and I was underwhelmed by it. Yeah, it's about the this uh, did won a big a bunch of awards at the Spirit Film Festival, I think, and um, it's a Sony Pictures Classics. They got the distribu the distribution uh, on it, and I had I got a screener a couple of weeks ago to see it. It opens, I think, either I think it opened Friday here, but um, I I thought it was just. Uh, an indie film at its worst, you know. <laughs> it's one of those indie movies where it just—it's a bunch of scenes in search of a movie. Uh, right. Is it the writer or the writer? R I D E R. Okay. Uh, my terrible accent is doing me in here, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's the the writer, and it's really, like I said. It, uh, it there's no dramatic arc. There's no you know, there's no character uh, ar- character arcs or uh, dramatic arcs or any conflicts or it's just uh, this this kid. He basically what he does for a living is he's he rides these he, he does these rodeo shows and he's injured and he falls off and you know, he can't do it anymore or he's going to he's going to literally die and so he's just wandering around the movie observing the the life around him and trying to figure out what he's going to do next and i i don't know i just my patience wore thin with it and uh so i was i was underwhelmed with that in spite of the fact that it's getting i think about 92% on rotten tomatoes so the the critical wow. consensus is that it's a lot better than what I thought it was. So, is it another sort of navel gazing kind of indie movie? It is. It it is in the worst way I thought. Mm. So yeah, and then I saw anybody of um, no, anybody of note in it. No, it's it's a cast of unknowns. In fact, the lead actor I can't recall his name right off, but he's he's basically he was a real rodeo rider who's injured, and so he's kind of playing himself. It's one of those things. But uh, 
yeah. It, but I, like I said, I, I wasn't having any of it. I was just, my patience was wearing thin, and I was really just getting more aggravated as the movie went on. I said, this is going nowhere. And it, There are a couple of really powerful scenes in the movie. He has a friend who was basically he's incapacitated in a wheelchair and he can't speak and he just he's got these tremors and he goes to the rest home the guy's in the rest home and he's a kid obviously in his early 20s who's had this traumatic fall and he goes to visit his friend and those those are really touching and moving scenes and i and i read that the guy was playing he's he was really injured that way the guy playing that part in the movie and if the rest of the movie had had that kind of emotion i i think it probably could have been something good but alas that's not the case so, well, talking about, was, and talking I about did, a great a, a great performance in a middling movie is that uh, new thing that just came out on Netflix that Kodachrome movie with Ed Harris and uh, which is the guy from SNL that's married to Olivia Wilde, um, Jason Sudeikis. Jason yeah, yeah. Um, Ed Harris is great in that movie, and it's you know it's a B minus movie, C plus. Mm-hmm. But uh, he has a scene, man, that reminds you what acting is. <laughs> uh, so if you want to see a really good performance, I would recommend that film. Mm. I'll have to I check that out. about that. Yeah. And I it's an interesting present. In, 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 amongst the pantheon, when we think of some of our greatest actors, I mean, he reminds me of, like, kind of a throwback personality in a way because he has that steely toughness that you associate with a Mitchum or that kind of class yeah. of people like they it's really so stand their ground yeah. and yet he's he is uh, wholly emotional uh-huh. um, if you watch some, something like Kodachrome or Pollock it, the, that, that kind of juxtaposition is interesting to me mm-hmm. or the hours you know how, how great he was in that uh, yeah. wow he's he can uh, he can really uh, you know he can really turn around and surprise you. I mean something like History of Violence uh, or jeez, uh, he's been great for so many years. And uh, you know it took me a little while to warm up to him. You know like of course like everybody I guess we all got even though he'd been in movies for a decade at this point uh, uh, I think we all kind of got to know him through the right stuff playing uh, John Glenn, but. Um, uh, you know, ever since then, uh, I just feel like he's been getting better and better and better. Uh, just, uh, yeah. just one of our great, great character actors. Uh, so I'll yeah. definitely be checking that out. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, we lost Tom Wolfe last week too. Speaking of the right stuff and Bonfire of the Vanities, we he was uh, along with Margot Kidder. We mm-hmm. lost both of those. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, the Margot I God, when I saw the Tom uh, when I saw the Tom Wolf thing, uh, I confused it with Gate uh, Talies. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, to, because a little they're, bit. They're, 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 yeah, they're both kind of dressed like dandies. And, uh, uh-huh. I was like, uh, you know, it, it just yeah, it just, oh, it was a second, but uh, I was like, oh, and I just watched him in Voyeur that I yeah. read, and oh, Thomas Wolfe, okay, <laughs> yeah, Tom <laughs> Wolfe, Fire. Yeah. I wonder if they consulted with each other on on fashion choices and so forth, because they they do seem like people who would have <laughs> yeah. known each other. And <laughs> I'm sure. So uh, yeah, I think it's funny that they they kind of have a, a similar sartorial choices, but. Um, uh, 
Hey, I've got another movie to bring up. Uh, uh, there's a new movie that's playing out at, uh, in theaters now called Anything. Uh, it's directed by Timothy McNeil, a newcomer, and it stars John Carroll Lynch, you know, who played, of course, uh, Zodiac in the Zodiac, or who we think is the Zodiac. And he plays a recent widower who is uh, suicidal uh, and uh breaks out of his uh, family home where his uh, brother has taken him in, his brother and his wife, uh, uh, who's played by Mara Tierney. Uh, they've they've taken him in out of con- concern for his recent suicidal gesture. And uh, he breaks out of that and gets a, 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 an apartment in a kind of a CD part of L.A. and uh, strikes up a friendship and maybe sort of a nascent romance with uh, a, uh, although it's not consummated on the screen, but with a um, transsexual sex worker uh, who's played by uh, Matt Bomer. And um, uh, very unusual movie. Uh, I wasn't sure about it at first. I was uh, like, okay, this is a little weird. or <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously it's it's going to be a challenging for some people. But uh, <clears throat> I guess I wish they would have made Matt Bomer a little bit more attractive, I guess, <laughs> and a little less uh, a little less uh, manly, uh, a little bit more feminine. Uh, uh, but I guess that's the challenge of the movie, and uh, and uh, they they treat it. It gets better as it goes along. The first the first half of it gets is a little shaky. But uh, it gets very strong in its last half, and uh, I particularly love it because John Carroll Lynch uh, is is a really, really, really good actor, a very uh, commanding yeah. presence, and um, uh, I love to see him in a lead, and uh, he treats it uh, very well, uh, has a lot of, gives a lot of heart to it, and Luckily, the the movie doesn't mistreat its main character for for being overweight, which is something that uh, I find to be a uh, an irritating uh, you know feature of modern movies. Uh, the overweight character is always uh, portrayed uh, negatively, uh, but that's not the case here. In fact, he has the, he has the most heart out of anybody that we see on screen, and uh, Matt Bomer is is. Um, I guess his character is uh, is um, I guess a little uh, supposed to be abrasive, uh, but it's difficult to it, the character is so abrasive that it's difficult to find anything uh, to really love about the character until very late in the movie. Um, so I wish they would have uh, sort of I don't know just uh, made made him a little bit more likable. Um, but uh you know uh not not a bad movie and uh uh you know not not over the top you know wonderful but uh there's some good things about it so you know wanted to mention that and i got to mention this other movie <laughs> i got one other movie that i've seen that's a recent film <clears throat> that's by uh, a filmmaker that i really like andrew hay who also did 45 uh, 45 years a couple of years ago it was one of my favorite movies of that year with Charlotte Rampling and uh, Tom Courtney as a uh, troubled married couple discovering you know some 
secrets about uh, Courtney's past and that might threaten their marriage. And that was just such a great, uh, unbelievably uh, emotionally affecting movie that I thought, oh, well, this uh, this next one uh, should be good. Uh, and it's called Lean on Pete. Um, and uh, it's about, uh, it's basically about a, a troubled kid played by uh played by uh Charlie Plummer who I think is Christopher Plummer's grandson uh who um uh kind of escapes his uh you know uh, you know very irritating home life by uh committing to taking care of a horse uh, uh and that's the title character Lean on Pete is the horse's name and uh Steve Buscemi is in this and uh and uh, uh Chloe Savini and uh all sorts of uh interesting character actors but uh <clears throat> my review of this is going to be rather short because uh I just have to say that uh <laughs> I hate uh, I hate animal movies that uh mistreat the animal uh even as part of the story uh, and uh, I, I felt very rooked by this film, which is a very, very slow-moving movie. <laughs> Let me just say this. It is it is slow. I like a slow movie, but this was a little too slow for me, and when it finally does goose up with the uh, action, uh, I was extremely disappointed. So that's just my code words for saying that something bad happens to the horse, and it and uh, it really left me with a horrible taste because I was really expecting a movie that was a little bit more, um, I guess, more Black Stallion sort of uplifting, and uh, this was not it. <laughs> so if you like the if you like horses and you're going to see a movie because it's a horse movie or whatever, you probably won't like this one. <laughs> so mm. let me just tell you that right now. It's it's. <clears throat> Let me just say it's, it's got some brutality in it That's really uh, I can't even talk about it It was so rough You know But I I just hate seeing You know Animals being mis- mistreated Even if, if Even if it's part of the I don't know Even if I know that they're safe Or whatever It just doesn't even matter I just It just yeah. it's, it's something that I wish would die in movies Just this whole idea that any animal that shows up has to has to meet a terrible ending, just so the movie can hit some kind of emotional uh, checkpoint or something. Ugh. Well, the same could be said of the same could be said of Steve Buscemi himself. He meets <laughs> an awful end in most of his movies too. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And uh, uh, this one, this one is no different. And um, yeah. Really? Uh, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> can't yeah. get a break. Yeah, guy can't get a break. Oh man. Well, well, he made it. He made it through uh, the death of Stalin, which was a big surprise. <laughs> so <laughs> he comes out yeah. on top on that one. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So lean on Pete. Uh, if you're an if you're an animal lover, just uh, let me just forewarn you right <laughs> now. Do not do not do not lean on it. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I love those. Che- I love those cheesy critical. You know who the king of cheesy critical quotes is? 
I have found. He's not even a movie reviewer. But uh, Larry King. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't get. It doesn't get more cheesy than the shit he comes up with. I was watching oh, yeah. this archived interview. Archived interview he did with uh, Costner and Oldman for the movie Criminal, and he was like, "The film is criminal. It opens April fifteenth, and it's criminal if you don't see it. It really is fun. We'll be right back." Oh <laughs> God! So I used to, you know, he used to do like a little column in USA Today in the eighties, you know, and oh, it was just no, his terrible random thoughts, you know, like. Uh, like all sorts of thoughts, like you know, there's nothing better than pancakes with butter on them, or something like that. You know, be, or like, yeah. and then he go on to Jaja uh, Gabor is is a national treasure, or something like that. Just these random thoughts that would come to him that are split up with ellipses, you know. <laughs> and you're just like, what? I would read it every every week because I just like could not believe it was being printed in a major newspaper, and he was getting paid yeah. for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah, he, not, says, he says that he that 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 was the beginning of Twitter. What he did right there, he he always yeah. claims that. Huh. So, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. yeah, he does that on Twitter now. I think. I think he still he started doing that. I, I somebody told me that that he. Mm. I haven't checked. Uh, but he leave me so, out yeah, of it. Not, <laughs> the yeah the. Larry King is the king of non sequiturs. Uh, <laughs> Adam, it would be criminal if you missed it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Uh, hey, here's an interesting uh, list. This is from the Telegraph in the UK. Maybe it'll provoke some discussion. They're counting down the 10 worst performances. By some of our finest actors. Mm. So, you guys get your thinking caps on. Think of the worst performances by great actors. Okay. You can. Their number ten is Vanessa Redgrave in Mary Queen of Scots. Huh. <laughs> you remember I was that? Thinking about rewatching that. You know, they're doing a new Mary Queen of Scots with yep. uh, with uh, who is it? Who's the lead? Uh, is it Saoirse uh, Ronan? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So uh yeah, uh hmm. I remember trying to watch that a few years ago, the the seventies version. And why you know, it's done by the same director who did um Anne of the Anne of the Thousand Days. Not a great director, Charles Jarrett, but um no. but uh I I sort of I, I like it for the lead for the performances for uh for Vanessa Redgrave and who is it? Sarah Miles or somebody like it? But I uh, can't can't remember exactly. But I liked Vanessa Redgrave a lot. It really takes a okay. lot for me not to like her in a movie. Nice John Barry score too. Mm, yes, no doubt. Yes, absolutely. Uh, their anyway. number nine is Rob. Oh, hang on. Ow. Their number nine is Robert Duvall in The Gingerbread Man. <laughs> okay. Just really not much more than a cameo, really. Yeah, I think that's a little unfair. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting movie. I mean, it's not a successful movie, but bravo to Altman for for, for saying, "Oh yeah, I'll do a Grisham. He's all the rage now. I'll do that." <laughs> it, it, you know, and what he does with it. I. Uh, 
I rewatched it years ago, and I thought, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it doesn't quite work, but uh, it's neat just to know that Altman's behind the camera doing a Grisham movie. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. But Duvall is just like a footnote in it. It's not, he doesn't even have the screen time to build a performance. Yeah, it's got a million people in it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah, he speeds right on by there. Yeah. It's only the second time they worked together, right? Because they did mash together, mm-hmm. and then uh, they they didn't. Uh, and I think he, uh, I think he had problems with Altman's lefty kind of sat- satirist bent, so they mm. didn't work together for a long time. Uh, number eight is Nicole Kidman in the Human Stain. <laughs> <laughs> That's movie. just a problematic oh. movie, just in general. You know, I mean, you could you could put Anthony Hopkins in there as well. You know, but uh, yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a movie I won't be returning to anytime soon. That's for sure. Yeah, and there's so many uh, performances that you could choose from from Robert De Niro, and you know, I don't know. He he works so much. Uh, and I know that he works hard. I don't think that he. I don't think that he doesn't care. I just think that sometimes he chooses bad movies, and they let him down. The material lets him down. But from what I've heard, De Niro really puts a lot of work into whatever he's doing. It just doesn't show on screen. Uh, but so their number seven, the one they chose for De Niro, was Godsend. Jesus. Jeez. Who's thought of what? that movie in years? <laughs> I, I, you know, I would have picked the comedian, which I this, you know, the mm. most recent thing, which uh, one of him, his more recent pieces, which I just felt was absolutely insufferable, and uh, uh, I'm like, this is the guy who was in the King of Comedy. Uh, man, he was a better comedian as Rupert Pupkin than he is here. <laughs> you know, he's supposed to be a Right. Sort of semi-successful comedian, and uh, it's just painful. But uh, yeah, so uh, boy, De Niro what would you has... choose for De Niro, Adam? Oh wow, boy, that's uh that's tough. There's so many choices. Grudge match. Jeez, <laughs> I don't. Uh, are we doing recent? Well, well, you know, it's only been in the last ten years when he started turning in these paychecks. Ten or twenty, really. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, probably about 20 years. God, that's jeez. Analyze this was kind of the turning point, you know, where he said yeah. uh, he said I'm going to do more comedies. Uh seemed he seemed to uh make a conscious uh drive away from, you know, the heavy dramatic roles. Yeah. Uh and uh he wanted to explore his comedy side, which I think it's been the worst thing to happen to, to De Niro and Oh yeah. I, I, I mean how I, many I, of I them would work? I think I think it was incredibly exciting when he chose to do that for Midnight Run. Because he yeah. maintained a level of gra- yeah. gravitas in that movie. At work. And and he had great writing and he had a great co star to play opposite of. That uh-huh. um, really accentuated the differences between them, but uh, you know, but uh, something like Grudge Match makes Analyze This look like you know Oscar worthy. Oh yeah, because dirty diminishing returns big time. Yeah, and Dirty Grandpa that was just uh, un- un- insufferable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I can't even imagine sitting through it. I mean, even the intern, which I know you kind of liked, uh, Jamie, but. Uh, 
you know, I mean, it, I, I thought it was agreeable, but uh, I didn't love it. But, uh, you know. Uh, oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you? No, really? It. Seriously? I love uh, that movie. And the, the, just, it, just the idea of having great affection for it. It's, it's a feel-gooder. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's kind of a taco I don't look at it as a comedy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah. Number six, um, Alec Guinness in A Passage to India. That's painful. Mm. I will, I will. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that, because <laughs> he's playing an, uh, you know, an Indian, uh, a mystic, and uh, yeah, I mean, in the sea of just you know real Indians in it, you know, uh, real Indian actors, great Indian actors. Uh, why couldn't they get? Why they have to shoehorn uh, Alec Guinness into this role? It's just a mistake of, of casting, really, more than yeah. any kind of fault of his of his performance. Which you know, yeah, kind of like Mickey yeah. Rooney at Breakfast at Tiffany's, right? Ye- yes, that's <laughs> yeah, that's, that's similar. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. Uh, Come on. All right, number five is uh, Jessica Lang in Hush. Remember Hush? Wow. Crazy oh, yeah. Mother. <clears throat> Jeez. I don't think I ever don't, saw that. I don't one. remember it as much. Yeah. I don't remember it enough to, but, you know, she's playing over the top. Um, I don't, her son. What happened to that guy? That Jonathan Skakel or whatever his name is in that movie. That was also in that thing you do. He disappeared. Oh, yeah. He's probably on television. <laughs> maybe that should maybe that should be the next episode of Tittletail Tragedies. He's not dead. It's just nobody knows where he is. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, all right, number four. They they found the place for Al Pacino and they put him in um, Righteous Kill. I was gonna say that. I was gonna That's say a pretty terrible put him movie. In, uh, yes, I was gonna say that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That is awful. That is an awful movie. It really is. And two legends, which makes it even worse. Yes. I mean, what a missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah. 50, 50 Cent and John Leguizamo. Like, how can you go wrong? <laughs> two legends. Well. Yeah. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg in that, too. Yeah. They they give him a great sporting cast. I mean, Leguizamo mm-hmm. is agreeable. But, uh... Okay, Sean Penn and All the King's Men. Oh my yeah, God! Pretty bad. Pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, it, really unwatchable. Uh, it's, it, it just it just dies, you know, and you're just like, oh wow, I I don't think I can make it through. How long does it have to go? Two more hours? Oh my God! No yeah. way! I'm getting out. <laughs> and when that Ponderous, thing was announced, man. man, that 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 was Oscar bait when that movie was announced. Yeah. It was. yeah. Yeah, I saw the poster. I said, oh, that's best, best picture, you know, because you see that cast and everything. And you, but, man, they just mm-hmm. screwed the pooch on that. Yeah. yeah. The paraphrase Charles Barkley, terrible, terrible, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. There are a lot of opportunities with this, with this, cat, with this uh, subject, that's for sure. Number I'm just two. thinking my mind's got working. got two more left. Two more right. left in this list. Number two is yeah. Jodie Foster in Elysium. 
Oh, jeez, I never <laughs> saw that. <laughs> Is that the thing of the space station? Yeah, the District 9 guy, with Matt Damon. Yes, yeah, Neil Bloomkamp, yes. Yes. That's right. Yeah, once I saw his name connected to it, I was like, no way am I going to this. So, <laughs> yeah, never watched it. <laughs> Uh, their their number one is Tommy Lee Jones in Blown Away. Huh. That's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's I mean, even bad. with Jeff Jeff Bridges in it, Jeff Bridges can't even yeah. save that movie. I tried to watch it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Uh, I said, I'll give this another shot. And I just, I couldn't make mm-hmm. it. <laughs> nope. Nope. That's Bye. another one. I I thought it was going to be a home run when it came out. I remember I couldn't wait to see that, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, my God, this is bad. I'm yeah. trying to think of, uh, you know, really awful uh, movies with uh, with great stars, like, uh, you know. Oh, I'm I, sure I've my, got some. <laughs> oh, yeah? yeah? i got a couple that just popped into my head. What about Dustin Hoffman and Sphere? Uh, I don't know why that just that's bad. <laughs> You're right though. That was that was unbearable. Yeah. You know, it was, yeah. that was during that time period. You know, the late '90s where he was trying to do things like uh, he did Outbreak and and so forth. Yeah. I'm just like, oh man, Dustin, mm-hmm. please. And and Jamie and I were just talking about this one the other night. Uh, Jaws: The Revenge. Michael Caine. Oh yeah. Which well, he he was belief. doing tons of bad stuff. I mean, oh, <laughs> back, yeah. back in that period, uh, you know, the swarm, was, <laughs> which oh, was a few years before that, but yeah, swarm and beyond the Poseidon Adventure, the whole craft covenant, which is actually oh, not yeah. bad, but uh, you know, it's okay, but uh, it's a little beneath him. But, and remember uh, when he was in the Steven Seagal on Deadly Ground? I believe it was. Oh wow! Yeah, jeez, I forgot about that. Wow. Ooh, stinkeroo. But, yeah. Uh, another one that always gets me. That you talk about stars going out on a on a low note. Great actors going out on a low note, and th- this is really sad that this was their last film for both of them. Well, filmed together anyway. It was the Odd Couple two with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. That just was. I, I was excited to see that I, I, again because I loved the first one so much, and I could not wait. I'd say, oh, I can't wait to see this. It was terrible. It was Man, you should have known going into that. That was going to be bad. <laughs> that was going to be uh, bad because it's coming like three decades too late. You know? Yeah, it is. But I was hoping some of the magic. I mean, it was a Neil Simon script. I thought, you know, well, surely he's, they can get something out of that. But, he's you know, definitely not infallible. <laughs> mm. What about Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe in Virtuosity? That's that's a good one. That's a good one for this list. <laughs> you know. What about, what about Russell, Russell Crowe and Les Miserables? There you go. Oh, yes. Terrible. Terrible. Absolutely. Paul Newman and Quintet, which is also a, 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 a Robert Altman movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Some people like to. Paul... Yeah. Go ahead. Some people want to want to, you know, say, ah, it's not as bad as everybody says. It's actually been, it no, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, he was he was, he was having a bad time because the next year he did When Time Ran Out, you know, the oh, Irwin Allen Volcano yeah. movie, which is even worse. I mean, yeah. Quintet looked really good by comparison. Right. That was bad oh. for both him and uh, William Holden, who was also going yeah. through tough times with something like Fedora. 
Yeah. One of, uh, Ooh, one of Billy yeah. Wilder's last movies. Uh, mm, yeah. So uh, is Righteous Kill is Righteous Kill really worse than Revolution in terms of a performance? Probably neck and neck. <laughs> that's like, I, and, I mean, it's a toss-up. Apple and and is, uh, what, what was the what was the Tommy Lee Jones? Oh, blown away. Is blown away oh, yeah. just as bad as uh, Batman Forever for Tommy Lee Jones? Oh boy, again neck and neck, probably. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's tough. I don't know. Blown away is just sort of boring. Like it's just uh, uh, there, there's there's not even any bad movie kind of fireworks to it. It's just uh, no, uh, no nothing. Nothing. <laughs> you know. Well, well, uh, what about Clint, James? Clint Eastwood in, in Paint Your Wagon? That's oh, a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Although, good I, you one. know, I, I have a little bit of affection for Patriot Wagon because I like some of the songs. I, I like the widescreen look of it. Uh, I like the I do art, like that, yeah. Art, the art direction and the costumes are really interesting. And uh, and sort of the dynamics between, uh, between Eastwood and uh, Lee Marvin – who has a great song in it, uh, "Wandering Star," mm-hmm. and also uh, and Gene Seberg. I think that's that's all that stuff. You know, keeps me going through it. You know, and I like all the character actors mm-hmm. and stuff in it. Nitty gritty dirt band playing <laughs> playing. Uh, you know, down and out. You know, townspeople and stuff. That's just it's just kind of interesting to me. It's overblown, too long, but I kind of like it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, De Niro and Rocky and Bullwinkle does that deserve to be on oh there? perfect that, that's the one that, that's, that's, that's I think you that's hit it. it I think you hit it I think you hit it yeah I think that's, you did <laughs> that's, that's the that's, one I think, yeah it's like Marlon Brando and Island of Dr. Moreau that's, uh, yeah. that's the one you, but, that's the one that comes to mind Absolutely, absolutely. Like just the the performance that just leaves your jaw dropped open and not in a yeah. good way. Like just like, oh, <laughs> what am I looking at? My eyes. Oh, oh it's terrible. Oh man. You have to wash your eyes out with with pure milk afterwards yes. to get the just to get the sting out. Oh man. <laughs> Uh, what about that? What about that Larry Cohen movie with uh, Betty Davis? What was it Wicked Stepmother? Wicked I believe Stepmother. Oh, I've never God. seen that. Have you? Have you guys ever seen that? Oh, I tried. You know, she left halfway through it. Is the story? Oh. She, she just, uh, she, she claimed that it was her dentures, but it uh, <laughs> was causing the, the problem. That's what she told Larry Cohen. <laughs> that, that it was her dentures that were she couldn't do the lines because her dentures were were giving her problems and she quit she just walked and uh, he found out that he he said he thought that it was you know senility and she had had a stroke and that she you know it was all that coming together and she just was too prideful to admit to that and she just quit and he had to rewrite that script and and. It didn't make sense when he rewrote it, but he he already had the money you know invested, and he didn't want to just throw it away. So he and they, I think they billed that as her last movie. But talk about going out on a low note. Like, yeah. mm. Boy, well, of course you have mm. Bob Bob Hoskins and Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a that's a great one. That's a great that's one. About that's about as about as bad as Judy Dench in the Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, uh, oh wow! God, I forgot about that. 
Yeah, I mean, and I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. I, the, the last big screen movie uh, that I saw, well, one of the last, that the performances were so terribly bad. And and it wasn't like Super Mario Brothers, like you expected at least decent performances in it, was uh, The Happening. Like Mark Wahlberg and Zoe oh. Deschanel in that movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. God. I'm, unbelievable <laughs> how bad the acting yeah. is in that. It's well, that, there's a bad one this year uh, that's up there, I think, is Helen Mirren in Winchester, which I saw a couple of months ago. And that's right up there with all those we're talking about. It's terrible. Wow. Awful, yeah. So that yeah that 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 one can match any of those for toe to toe. I I would say the uh, preview was hard enough to get through, much less Ooh, the entire movie. God, it was bad. <laughs> uh, Jack Nicholson, he must have like done something that was just <laughs> purely man. Uh, how about man trouble? <laughs> which I've never seen. <laughs> yeah, the thing, about, the thing about Nicholson, the thing about Nicholson though is like. Uh, he's been in bad movies, but he's he's Nicholson, so he can't help but be the most interesting thing about the bad movies he's in. Yeah, yeah. He can phone it in and be interesting to watch. Yeah. yeah. You know, even, but in terms of dull, I mean, he's dull in The Last Tycoon, but, but the movie's so dull. Uh, and you feel like he's kind of aimless in it a little bit. Mm. Yeah, but at least in something like Man Trouble, he's able to arch his eyebrows and, you know, all that kind of shit. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Remember when he did the uh, sequel to uh, Terms of Endearment, The Evening Star? Oh, right. He did that. Did he do that? Yeah, he did. He shows up for a couple of scenes. He does, yeah. They're not yeah, bad though. Right. I mean, he's he he injects some some life into it. And yeah, that's not, not a that's not a terrible movie though. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's not as bad as everybody said it was. I, you know, I sort of like Marion Ross. I remember thinking she was good in it. Uh, you know, jeez, uh, uh, God, William Hurt must have done some pretty bad ones. <laughs> you know, like. Uh, well, Jeez. Lost in Space was not great. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good. That's a good example of one. Oh boy, that was horrible. <laughs> All right, <laughs> moving on. All right. Well, I'm always happy to celebrate the mediocrity. Uh, in our <laughs> oh, yeah. Single Absolutely. it out. Yeah. Well, I got Jeffrey Jones one... and Howard the Duck. That's a, oh, that's a good one. A good one. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Lawrence Olivier. <laughs> Lawrence Olivier in The Wild Geese 2. <laughs> oh, or Inchon. <laughs> yeah, or Inchon, that's another. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and pretty much um, the latter part of his career was still uh, right. like this. <laughs> the jazz singer. Was he oh, no. That, the, oh, that one. Oh, that's like Painful. a knife in the gut. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I have Neil, no Neil Diamond couldn't even save him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hello again, hello Just called to say hello I couldn't sleep 
it all tonight And I know it's late But I couldn't wait Hello, my friend, hello Just called to let you know I think about you every night When I'm here alone And you're there at home Hello Just need to hear Hello My friend, hello It's good to meet you so It's good to love you like I do To feel this way when I hear you say hello. Hello.